Please note, this following podcast features bad language, right from the fucking start. And now, dissecting the week's most shared news stories, and separating the truth from the nonsense, it's the Ministry of Swooping. So hello and welcome to the Ministry of Swooping, the podcast that does what you can't be bothered to do, look into the memes and stories, doing the rounds on social media, and working out if there's any truth to them. And yes, I know it is an unusual name, but then so is Truth or Consequences New Mexico. Uh, we do this because online is getting increasingly harder to tell the truth from the fiction. Like Adolf Hitler once said, the problem with things quoted on the internet is they're often not true. Uh, so we have a little fun whilst we do a bit of fact-checking. So settle in for some bad-slash-lazy investigative journalism and a whole heap of bullshit. Uh, I'm your host for today, the Secretary of State for Nonsense, Sarah Galpin, and joining me is my Parliamentary Undersecretary for this week's show. She's the host of Primarily 2020 and once hitchhiked all the way from Delaware to New Delhi. It's Karen Robinson. Hi, Karen. <laughs> Hello. How are you? Are you okay? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. It's uh, it's been a funny old week in Parliament, hasn't it? <laughs> like it's a tr- truth and fiction. It's it's all just merging together into nonsense in the world. It is. It is indeed. That's what I, I seem to have started this podcast at. Well, either the right or the wrong time, depending on how you look at it. Uh, there's just yeah. so much choice for stories really lately well exactly i mean in the u.s you've got the u.s president drawing you know president trump of whom i speak often on my podcast uh because it's all about u.s politics he's drawing with sharpies on maps to convince people that his false statement that alabama is about to be hit with a hurricane is true you couldn't make it up it's really uh it's beyond parody It, it really is uh, it's it's helping all of us in, who, who do these types of podcasts, that's for sure. Yeah. It's a funny old thing, though, because I'm just not sure it's helping, you know, obviously it's not helping humanity. Um, no. But, but it's kind of breaking our brains, isn't it? Because we're so used to seeing so much nonsense come so quickly at us, and there's social media. And uh, I just feel like there are real basic skills in understanding the world that we're all slowly going insane and losing the, the, the grip <laughs> on reality. So yeah. thank you for doing this. Hopefully it helps. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I hope so. Um, part of my concern is maybe the people listening to this are the people who don't necessarily need this. Uh, but there we go. If we get one or two along the way, we yeah, are converted. they can spread the word. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, there we go. So. Karen, if you want to, before we start as well, just tell us a little bit about what you do on your podcast. Yeah, so uh, primarily 2020 is the outgrowth of my many, many years as a political activist um, and US Democrat, um, and also in my paid-for profession, in my day job, so to speak, I'm a, a, a strategist for a PR agency. So I'm just really interested in kind of persuasion strategies and campaigns. Um, I... But I'm also kind of somebody who doesn't want to spend too much time dwelling in horror. So I didn't want to do a podcast about about Republicans and, and Donald Trump. And I thought it would be more positive to do something about what a, a better future could look like. So we're focusing on the Democratic primary. And we're really just trying to – I'm trying to unpack kind of – we've got a lot of real – controversies and issues and kind of deep philosophical conversations we need to have as a party. And so I think it's it's useful in the primary to make sure we have those conversations about what immigration in America should look like and, um, you know, what is the kind of economic system that promotes most justice and fairness and equality in our, as a society and, you know, how we should deal with um, the rise of the far right and, and kind of support um, people with minority backgrounds and just trying to kind of you know, I, I say it's about looking at the the politics, policies, and personalities of the 2020 primary. But for me, it's about kind of looking forward rather than just dwelling in the horrors we see every day about imagining a future that could be different than this. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Doing doing good work. I try. <laughs> <laughs> Now, with uh, some introductions out of the way, should we get on to some good stuff, get on to some news stories? Now, I've scoured some social media for news stories and memes that have been shared and taken at face value, dug a little deeper to try and find the truth behind the headlines and any maths behind stats. So without further ado, we're going to our first news story, uh, and I will take a look at this one. The headline or the caption on this one was, The True Face of Remainers. And now it's uh, a photo that has been shared on Facebook and Twitter. It's been shared by pages such as the Westminster Bubble. Um, it's not been really seen in any news 
um, articles or anything like that. And it's just been shared by a lot of people on, on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, and it's basically a photo that shows pro-EU protesters burning the Union flag, accompanied by the caption, the true face of Remainers. And it's been suggested that um, this took place at the recent protests over the last week or so in London. And when you look at that, what's your first instinct? Well, the first thing I thought, honestly, when I saw it was I thought it was it looked a lot like old school American misinformation because there has been um, going way back to the 1980s and 70s. And, you know, as, as far back as I can remember, certainly there have always been um, scurrilous photographs circulating of people supposedly burning the American flag. And mm. the American flag has been burning. The American flag has been a, a form of protest that um, is very controversial in the US occasionally we get these like people get all fired up about it and and start proposing constitutional amendments to ban it as if that would accomplish anything and people just seem really fired up about the possibility that someone might burn the flag in protest this mm. seems to be relying on that same emotion but i never mm. previously would have felt that that would be as visceral a reaction that British people would have to seeing the Union Jack burn. Obviously, people wouldn't like it, but I've never seen that used in this way before. So I thought yeah. that was interesting. Yeah, we don't quite have the same affiliation, or same love for the flag here as people do in the States. Um, I don't think you mentioned, obviously, the things there about burning the, the American flag and how that seen that room before. I, I remember, I think it was at John Oliver, someone did a did a something on last week tonight about the, apparently under the rules, the only way to destroy a flag is to burn it. You can't throw them away. You can't put them in the rubbish. Yeah, it's true. According to the um, the flag code of the U.S. Army, um, the it is inappropriate to put a flag in the trash. You can't throw it in the bin because that's disrespectful. You can't yeah. step on it or cut it up and tear it to pieces. That's also disrespectful. So the only appropriate way of disposing with the flag is in a respectful ceremony of burning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So there you go, flag facts for you. Um, but it's it's you know obviously there are people who do burn the American flag in protest, and uh, their intention is not a respectful ceremony. So I think yeah, to absolutely. be fair, um, there's something else going on when that happens. But it's tapping into an idea that Americans have of how closely the symbol of the flag correlates with our feelings about the country. Yes. And I wouldn't previously have said British people have those feelings. No. Um, but, but maybe that's changing in this kind of, in this kind of Brexity era. Maybe people are becoming more emotionally invested in symbols than they had. Certainly in passports, apparently it matters if they're blue. I didn't yeah. know that people cared about that. So what do I know? Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to say, just looking at the photograph itself, which I, I'm guessing, I mean, I don't know, we haven't covered the truth or falseness of this yet, but um, just looking at it, it looks like a, a bad Photoshop and almost the logic of it doesn't write quite track to me because it looks to me like the person who is holding the flag that is being burnt is actually wearing a Union Jack flag yeah. on their back. So I don't understand what there's, what this person in this photo is supposed to believe. Yes, absolutely. That's one of the things I noticed about it. Yeah. The other thing I noticed was that when you consider where the burning flag is, the person stood behind it seems to be incredibly close yeah. to where that big ball of flame would be. That's surely a health and safety standards issue. <laughs> yes. Someone Which should report course... them to the European Union for health and safety violation. <laughs> absolutely. Now, you can do a quite simple Google image search. It shows you various places that have posted this, but it also shows very similar pictures, including a version of the, exactly the same photo without the burning flag. Um, it appears that this is not a photo from the recent protests at all. It is actually from a protest from March 2019. Uh, it's similar. It, it's a, it is a pro-EU crowd in London um, on a protest. However, the burning flag has been photoshopped in from what I can tell online. In fact, when I was doing a search for it, um, the fact-checking website fullfacts.org had even found where the specific image of the burning of flag had come from. It's been taken from an Argentine protest about the Falkland Islands mm. um, and from a YouTube video. Uh, it seems to, they seem to have screen-captured that and photoshopped that into this particular photo. So, yeah, it is quite straightforward on this to start the, to start the show with. It is a fake. It is a Photoshop, as, as one we had recently with uh, flags photoshopped into a photo it, it seems to be uh, 
quite an easy thing for people to do, but if they don't do it properly, it, it can be fairly obvious. Yeah. It's interesting that somebody felt the urge to do this. And I think, you know, as always with fake news, you have to always ask yourself, who, why did someone want to portray this information? Why did somebody want to get this idea across? And quite often, I think it's people just want things to be so true so desperately that they, like even the people manufacturing it, it might half believe it's true. It's made, like sometimes in their mind, I think they're just thinking, I'm sure someone somewhere has burned a flag of the UK. I'll just make it true here so that we can talk about the fact that it must be true you know it's yeah, yeah. and around the same time as this this came out there was actually you know when i was trying to find if any news outlets covered it i did find a story uh, in the daily mail uh, which was talking about flag burning during a protest uh, but they've got a quite clear photo of what appears to be two sort of teenage boys trying to set fire to a very very small union flag with a lighter um and there doesn't seem to be many people around. It's not like it's part of a big crowd yeah. uh, doing it. It was just two two boys doing it. They didn't know who they were, if they were part of the protest or not. It's not very clear. But that's it's kind of that process. Where it's like, oh well, that's not a very good example of it. Maybe we can make a better one. Um, take that same kind of thing. It, it, it's almost like people making these want Remainers to be so anti-British that they want us to be seen burning flags and things like that. So yeah, I think that's that's probably the reason they do it, and maybe just to to get a few extra likes and shares on on Facebook and Twitter as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. I think, you know, politics, especially, you know, very, very recently where kind of political parties um, have broken down in the polling, if you see everything's just all gone up in smoke in terms of who supports what party and so forth, it, it feels like, in the UK, remain versus leave is becoming a more durable way of identifying. So mm. it's a question of more sustainable identity rather than a referendum vote. And so I guess with that, you always get this identity former formation usually is associated with some kind of othering, right? So it's important to be able to other and distance people who even, you know, you might know many of them, but but, but in this case, Remainers have to be seen to be unpatriotic because otherwise, how can you be seen as patriotic? Hmm. Um, it feels like a little bit of that process is playing out here and, you know, I'm sure guilty on both sides, but it's it's obviously easier to see it when it's people we disagree with doing it against people we agree with. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> and and kind of on that point, on the interest of both sides, uh, the second story we've got today kind of uh, is from the other side in a way. Um, if you want to, to read out the headline and the details on that one. Absolutely. So this is a picture of uh, Dominic Cummings, the um, the current um, advisor to Boris, Prime Minister Boris Johnson, um, and the quote um, allegedly from him that is emblazoned over his photo in this image. It says, poor people are poor because they have inferior genes and brains. Rich people are rich because they are superior. Um, we don't know the origins of this um, meme, um, but we've seen it circulated on both Facebook and Twitter. And versions of it have shown up um, in various outlets over the years. Um, and I think it's 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 an interesting one because the first well i mean what's the what was your first reaction to it my first reaction to it is it it sounds it sounds like a too on the nose for it to have been true yeah that maybe it was a misquote but that maybe he said something along those lines and someone's tried to jazz it up a bit to make him sound even worse yeah that was my first instinct. I, I thought I wondered if he was posing a hypothetical or like, uh, you know, oh, people all think that Tories think this. Do you know what I mean? It sounded hmm. too much yeah. like he was demonizing his own side, um, like in caricature. Just seemed too easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does seem too easy. The other thing that I thought when I first saw it was... Dominic Cummings is a very um, controversial figure um, within the Conservative Party. And one of the reasons why is there are lots of allegations that he's not really a conservative himself, that he yeah. has kind of no, you know, like that he's politically opportunistic rather than having, you know, true convictions. And, um, you know, obviously he ran the the, the Leave campaign, um, was seen as quite effective in that. So I, I also wondered if there were kind of forces at work, even within his own party, who... Um, 
might be inclined to look favorably upon negative content about him. Yeah, no, no I agree. Now, like you say, it's been shared various places on, on, on Facebook and Twitter. Now, these are not just um, sort of anti-Brexit, pro-European groups again. It, it's various people tweeting this as well, including people with blue check marks on Twitter. One of them I found a version of it tweeted by Emma Kennedy. Um, and so when you obviously get people with check marks, whatever build of they're in, you kind of start to trust those 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 comments sometimes. Yeah. Now I looked into it a bit more. I found like I said in the in the start there, the there have been variations of the story going around for a number of years. Now the story seems to date back to twenty thirteen um in an essay that he wrote called Some Thoughts on Education and Political Priorities, which was published whilst he was advisor to then Education Secretary Michael Gove. Um now, the words in the viral post are not a quote from that essay. In fact, that phrase does not appear anywhere in the essay or on his blog either. Part of the essay does discuss genetics and social mobility, uh, and that aspect of it was picked up by The Guardian and reported on uh, in an opinion piece by Polly Toynbee. Now, she quotes part of the essay in her article, which says, most of those who now dominate discussions of issues such as social mobility entirely ignore genetics and therefore their arguments are at best misleading and often worthless. So again, it does appear to be based on an article or, or an essay he wrote, and it has certain parts been paraphrased and exaggerated. Um, so he does kind of mention um, the genetics are involved and then the reports at the time went on to say that the uh, the experts had kind of debunked that theory. Mm -hmm. So let me just make sure, make sure I understand that. So he wrote, he did in fact write an essay about education, which suggested that genetics might be one reason why um, poorer people are less successful. Um, if you were to summarize or parody that argument, the, the, is that like, is that the crux of what he was trying to say to some extent? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so what we're seeing is somebody like badly summarizing. Yeah, he, he talks right. about genetics and social mobility, and saying that there's, that, yeah, he's saying that there's a link right. between genetics and social mobility, but uh, but everyone else at the time was yeah. saying no, no, you're wrong. All the the experts at the time were saying that they're, yeah. they're, mis they're misleading arguments. Um, so there is there is a, a grain of, of truth to 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 what the quote is saying, but it has been blown up out of proportion to make it sound much worse. And it is false to put it in quotes because he never said or wrote those specific words. Absolutely. Yes. So okay. we start the day with two false stories. Right. Uh, on either side of the political divide. We'll go on to uh, story number three, which is quite an interesting one. Uh, it's one of those snappy headlines anyway. Uh, two women entered a closed amusement park and then sued its operators after injuring themselves while improperly self-operating an attraction. Now, this comes from a Facebook page called Citizens Against Lawsuit Abuse on Facebook. Uh, and the post says that two women in South Carolina tried to avoid the lines and broke into a water park for a private ride whilst the park was closed. When they got hurt, they decided to take the slide operator to court. Do you think this is a crazy lawsuit? Join CALA today to, to say hashtag don't sue summer and stand up to lawsuit abuse. Uh, and now the news story itself about the actual thing was covered by various US outlets uh, back in 2017 when it actually happened. So this is someone taking a news story and then trying to use it in an advert effectively. Yeah. What were your initial thoughts on that one? So my initial thoughts, again, I came at it with a very American perspective because um, people may not know, but the American legal system is like the Wild West when it comes to um, to suing for personal injury um, and, and liability lawsuits. Um, whereas here, you can't really... I mean, lawsuits exist, but it's not really quite the same thing. You can't sue for as much money. And lawyers in America are accustomed to um, approaching kind of civil civil lawsuits like this, um, almost like entrepreneurs, right? So like, can I put together a good case? And as a result, there's a longstanding discussion about kind of where, how far is too far for, for American lawsuits. So this struck me as another example in a, a genre that we've seen of people picking an 
example of a lawsuit that may or may not have merit. And and clearly, there's an organization on one side of that strongly opposing the the, the supposedly outrageous um, lawsuit system. Uh, there have been several examples of this type of story I've seen in the past, which have been based on a true fact, which when you go back to the original case, the case has much more merit than the um, than the, um, the 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 controversy or the or the kind of con- the, the most inflammatory way of describing yeah. it is. I mean, the the famous case that's always quoted as shorthand for this is the woman who mm-hmm. sued McDonald's for spilling hot coffee on herself, which sounds ridiculous, yeah. but her actual story is a little bit like quite a bit more sympathetic than that. I mean, McDonald's had been repeatedly warned that their coffee, by their own experts, that their coffee was served at a temperature that was hotter than other fast food chains and was unsafe. Um, the woman who, an elderly woman in her who, in her 80s um, who received the coffee re- had, had extraordinarily um, disruptive kind of fourth degree burns in her inner thighs and groin area um, from the coffee spill. And she sued them basically because she needed, like she didn't have medical care, so she needed that. So so, I mean, there was, it wasn't like she was trolling for lawsuits. And in fact, the court ruled in her favor. So, I mean, whether or not this story is true, I strongly suspect it's probably, it might be based on something that's true. Hmm. And I suspect probably there are probably is more behind it than it seems initially. Yeah. Um, but that's just a wild guess. People also do really stupid things. So that's also a possibility. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Now, I must admit, when every time I hear a story like this, my my automatic assumption is if it's a lawsuit in the States, that there's every chance that it's true. <laughs> yeah, um, there's because, some crazy yeah, stuff. The, yeah, absolutely. And I, we used to do a podcast where, where instead of looking at fake news, we looked at weird news stories. Yeah. And yeah, the number, number of things we came up with on, on that show about weird lawsuits were, were were crazy so yeah well, I, I i have this instinct to say no oh, i think that, that's probably that's probably true um so again did some did some searching found actually that this um had been fact-checked previously by someone snopes.com had covered this um and they basically say that the gist of the claim is true two women from new york uh, were visiting myrtle beach in south carolina in 2017 and entered the closed pavilion park amusement park during the early morning hours moved an unsecured gate at the entrance to the pipeline slide dry slide. Um, they climbed the stairs to the top of the attraction, slid down the dry slide, and then suffered broken bones when they collided with a metal barrier at the bottom of the slide. Oh, ouch. In November 2018, <laughs> they then filed a lawsuit against the park's operators and the ride's manufacturers, asserting that the closed attraction was improperly secured with nothing more than a plastic gate. Uh, so that's the details of of the lawsuit. Yeah, so they actually suffered broken bones from, from going down this this thing. Yeah, because um, obviously they took the gate off to get there, but they didn't check to see if there was anything at the bottom. Who's uh, <laughs> straight into it now? Um, Darwin Award entries? No, because they survived. Um, probably still able to reproduce. Yeah, they would have qualified. I'm sure had they uh, yeah. had they died. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, <laughs> But another, I mean, another factor that goes into it is, I mean, it sounds like they behaved very stupidly. Yeah. I'd be curious to know kind of what their what their medical situation was, though, because mm. you say they had serious broken bones. One f- curious factor of the American medical and healthcare system yeah. is that. Um, there are some instances where if you can sue, if it's hypothetically possible for you to sue the person who's responsible for your injury, that there might be a liability issue, your health insurer will insist that you do so before you, before they will pay for your care. Like right. there's all, they, they, this may or may not, I have no idea if that's the case in this case, but there was an incident um, with a, a woman kind of not the, a couple years ago, I think, who sued her nephew for giving her too tight a hug. And it was like very bizarre, but it turned out that her health insurer had said that, you know, she, because the injury was inflicted by another party, if she didn't file a lawsuit, they would not cover her injury um, or she would have to pay for it. So like our very broken healthcare system also causes people to do some very strange things, especially when combined with the entrepreneurial nature of American legal system. So basically our system is kind of fucked and that makes craziness even crazier. Yeah, now I work in um, international health insurance claims. So occasionally I see stuff in the States. Um, and yeah, it's going to be quite crazy. Uh, 
Now, to, to put into context these, these injuries, one sustained a broken right ankle, broken left ankle, and multiple fractures to her left tibia, which required surgeries yeah. and therapy to repair. And the other sustained a broken tibia, shattered knee plate, and two broken ankles. So yeah. quite serious fractures there. And yeah, lots of treatment needed in those instances. Now, the, the case they put against uh, the park was that they failed to secure slide knowing that patrons of broadway at the beach would be passing through and have open access to the park at all hours of the day the lawsuit then goes on to say the manufacturing design of the slide uh, they failed to install proper safety equipment to secure it when not in use the lawsuit drew lots of social media comments at the time condemning it as being stupid uh, and then the women actually dropped the case days later before it was even served on the defendant right they did sue but then they dropped the case yeah before it anywhere so there is truth to the story yeah. they did technically do it but they didn't right. follow through with it so a little bit overblown maybe in the commentary a little bit overblown yeah. yes now there's an interesting side note on this from snopes the page that shared it citizens against lawsuit abuse is on a fact sheet from the center for justice and democracy that says that group is uh, or and groups like it are often fronts for major corporations and industries seeking to escape liability from the harm they cause consumers. Mm -hmm. um, they say that the CLAs, as they're called, um, which is Citizens Against Lawsuit Abuse, and they represent themselves as grassroots citizen groups, and they say that they're sustained by small donations from ordinary citizens, when actually they represent major corporations and industries seeking to escape liability for the harm they cause consumers. The money trail from these groups leads directly to large corporate donors, including tobacco, insurance, oil and gas, chemical and pharmaceutical companies, medical associations, and auto manufacturers. They're also funded by the American Tort Reform Association, mm -hmm. as well as professional associations, local businesses and industries that also wish to be shielded from consumer lawsuits. Ah, uh -huh. the plot so thickens. Yes, yeah, so they're using this story to say, you know, don't bring silly lawsuits against yeah. people when it's obviously the people they're representing are the people you would sue in such instances. So yeah. that is the yeah. reason behind them using the story in the first place. Very interesting. And kind yeah. of matches up with my initial reaction to the story. It was like, oh yeah, there's a lot of people out there who are lobbying hard against uh, against these kinds of civil lawsuits, and uh, sometimes for their own dubious reasons. Hmm. Yeah, and you know, true. some of these lawsuits, which only exist because other parts of our system are broken, like the healthcare system, for example, or the you know criminal criminal compensation system, for example. Um, so anyway, yeah. The criminal justice system is a bit strange as well. <laughs> yes. Everything's a bit strange these days. It's all a bit strange. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll take a look at our next story. Uh, if you want to, to give us the details on that one. Yeah. So this is um, something that's been shared on Facebook. Um, the heading is The Suicide Plant. Um, and it's, I guess it's meant to be kind of interesting fact. It says the world's most poisonous plant is gimpy gimpy. It is found in Australia. Merely touching it is so painful that it has led many animals as well as humans to kill themselves. The pain is described as a mixture of an acid burn and electric shock. Most anyone who touches it prefers to commit suicide, uh, than, uh, mostly anyone who touches it prefers to commit suicide than to bear the pain. Um, so what do you think? It sounds too ridiculous to me. It, it, I, th I think again, as a, as a man approaching almost 40 to have not heard of this before, if it's true, uh, does surprise me. You'd think people as you growing up, you love to know about the most dangerous things, the most poisonous spider, the most poisonous snake, most of which obviously are all in Australia. So that part of it is kind of believable. There's any country that's going to kill you by nature, it's Australia. Um, but Death is out there. It is out there. But um, that's if Australia exists, of course, based on which conspiracy theories you uh, sign up to. But, yeah, the fact that you would rather kill yourself than live with the pain, that that is a stretch too far for me. I can't quite wrap my head around that. Yeah, I, I, I buy that. I think... There are lots of um, yeah. It 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 doesn't. It sounds it sounds too interesting to be true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Um, and I think animal suicide, I mean, how prone are animals to suicide? They're, I think of, you know, other kind of previous generation of false facts, like lemmings, by the way, do not throw themselves off cliffs. That was completely invented um, and faked for a Disney documentary. So this like idea of animal suicide strikes me as a little too, uh, too, too good to be true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, now this is coming, the, the picture's got on the side, savagefacts.com as, as the source. Um, so I, I searched the, the plant name and searched all this kind of stuff, found some uh, news articles in regards to this, and it basically says, from, from what I can work out, that it's true that the mere touch of one of these, the hairs on the leaf, can result in searing pain. Uh, there's a story from September 2018 where a scientist called Marina Hurley described the plant's touch as being like being burnt with hot acid and electrocuted at the same time. Doesn't sound fun. It doesn't, does it? It gets worse, I think. The intense stinging burning pain is felt immediately, then intensifies, reaching a peak after about 20 to 30 minutes. The hairs can remain in the skin for up to six months, with stings recurring if the skin is pressed hard or washed with hot or cold water. Hot, hot or cold water, so like tepid water? Yeah, so water. <laughs> yes, yeah, so just water, I guess. I don't know why it specifies hot or cold. Uh, so, yeah, apparently not only do you feel the pain from where you're stung, if it's a bad sting, uh, within about 20 minutes, your lymph nodes under your arms swell and throb painfully and feel like they've been slammed between two blocks of wood. Uh, the intense throbbing pain from both the sting and lymph nodes can last anywhere from one to four hours, depending on what species you touched and the amount of skin that was stung and how hard you came into contact with the plant. Um, however, most reports of deaths, self-induced or otherwise, caused by the plant appear to be um, unproven. Um, and there's a story from 2009 in Australian Geographic um, about her research uh, and around the closely related um gimpy gimpy tree and a former australian service member wrote in 1994 that after encountering the, the gimpy gimpy whilst training during world war ii one comrade went as mad as a cut snake from the pain after being stung by and another shot himself after mistakenly using it to wipe himself oh my god uh, <laughs> uh, wipe is, which bits one a, wonders yeah so dread to think uh, now there's also a, another story here that uh the first documented effects of the stinging tree were um, in 1866 uh, that a pack horse was stung, got mad, and died within two hours. Um, similar tales around local folklore of horses jumping off cliffs in agony um, and forestry workers drinking themselves silly to dull the pain. Um, and then there's a particular quote from the story. So there seems to be, it's one of those things that has, seems to have gone into folklore uh, in the late 19th century um early 20th century uh and that seems to be hmm. where these stories originated there's a study from december 2013 in the journal of wilderness and environmental medicine that found that up to the po that point only one human death had been reported in connection with the plant and that was back in 1922 so it appears to be a, a false quote again um, but there is ele elements to it that are true the pain is apparently ridiculous um but not going to you're not going to want to kill yourself to get to get over it basically uh, th there is some advice that suggests that the plant is not uncommon to to find in australian emergency departments and it's treated pretty pretty readily so they know how to deal with it down there um and it does say the government actually posted some tips for anyone who might encounter uh, the, the, this plant it says if you get stung most important thing, do not rub the area as it can break off the hairs and make it difficult to remove. Oh. Probably spread them across wherever you are. Uh, it says remove any visible hairs with tweezers. Apply and remove adhesive tape or hair removal wax strip to the area to remove the finer hairs. Do not scratch or rub the area. It may cause the hairs to penetrate deeper into the skin. Right. Can I just say I'm going to shamelessly exploit this new knowledge to uh, bolster my argument to my husband against us holidaying in Australia? <laughs> <laughs> because uh, he would like to go and visit Australia. I have other holiday destinations in mind. I am going to deploy the pain plant for my uh, further arguments. <laughs> <laughs> Add it to the list of spiders and snakes and everything Plenty else. of good reasons not to go to Australia, of which the suicide slash pain plant is now my newest. <laughs> yeah, don't tell them about the fact that that part of it's fake. Just uh, 
no, 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 no. The, 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 the pain <laughs> part is real. <laughs> Did not like the sound of that, I must admit. No, I, I, I wouldn't know. To wipe yourself with it seems like a particularly bad idea. Yes, yes. I yeah. think if you're going to go out camping anywhere, know your plants. <laughs> know what's around. Keep an eye out for stuff. I remember we were in um, Mexico. We went to Mexico for our honeymoon. And we were on uh, a guided tour through part of the, of the forest. And this, our tour guide pointed out a very poisonous um, tree. The berries on this tree were very poisonous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget what it was called now. But he said the, the fact that nature is amazing is the fact that there is another tree uh, that has leaves on it which soothe the effects if you rub it on, almost, almost like an antiseptic uh, element within the leaf. And these two trees are always found within about 20 yards of each other. They grow oh. together. So it's, it's like, okay, yeah, here's something nasty. I'm going to plant the thing that helps you right next to it. And apparently you don't ever get one without the other. Brilliant. There you go. Not complementarity in nature. Well done, yes, nature. <laughs> well done, nature indeed. <laughs> so we're, we're doing well tonight. We've got, what, four stories down so far. Kind of elements of truth to all of them. Um but mostly fake. Hey, just breaking into this episode just to bring you a few words about a charity event I'm working on that I want you to know about. Back in 2017, I organised the Southampton Superpod, a live 36-hour podcast to raise money for comic relief. A heap of podcasts from all over the UK came to Southampton, and some shows even called in from Wales, Finland, the US, and even Australia. It was a wonderful event, lots of fun, and we raised a decent chunk of money. Now I'm aiming to do something similar for sport relief, but on a bigger scale, and hopefully raising even more money. Superpod 2020 will be a two-day podcasting event over the weekend of the 7th and 8th of March. And more guys and some great sporting and comedy podcasts to come along and be a part of the event. Now, these shows will mostly be free entry to the public, but there will be a special ticket-only headline act each evening. Details of the venue, headliners and ticket prices being worked on at present, and we're hoping to make some announcements soon. Until then, we'd love if you could follow us on social media and help us spread the word. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Sotten Superpod, that's S-O-T-O-N Superpod, and we have a Facebook page too, just search for Superpod 2020. For more information, head to our website, superpod.co.uk, and if you want to be involved in any way, please email me, info at superpod.co.uk. We'll move on to story number five, uh, and the headline on this one is Scotland has the highest taxes anywhere in Europe, uh, and this came from uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson. He mentioned this during his first Prime Minister questions. Uh, he said that Scotland has the highest tax of anywhere in Europe uh, during a response to criticism from the SNP's Westminster leader, Ian Blackford. So, of course, it's been covered by various news outlets who have been covering um, that day in Parliament. So what do you think about that one? Well, it doesn't sound true, I'm going to be honest. Um, so my first instinct was, that doesn't sound right to me. Um, my say, and, and then I kind of remembered Boris Johnson's career as a journalist, which was not covered in glory from the point of view of accurate and accuracy and factual reporting, um, and how he you know, famously would just basically make stories up entirely, especially when he was reporting on Europe. Um, you know, he would go to kind of boring old committees and then just report wildly untrue things and the other journalists who had covered that committee would say where did you get this from we don't even they'd be trying to find references and you know like bendy bananas was never a thing and all these things he would just make stuff up um Mm. that made a better story and his editors were delighted they were like fantastic this is very entertaining keep keep on with this excellent european coverage that you're doing boris but it was just pulled out of nowhere it was made out of made out of nothing it was very trumpian Mm. um and uh so I, for a number of reasons, but for one of the, you know, it doesn't sound quite right to me, but I also am dubious about the source. Mm. Um, even though he is sadly prime minister of this country, I wouldn't take Boris Johnson's uh, uh, factual statements without validation. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's, it's interesting that we've got people on both sides of, uh, of the ocean at the minute who are um, quite happy to just to make stuff up all the time mm-hmm. and then argue against anyone who, who tries to tell them they're wrong. Um but yeah, so at least he didn't use a sharpie for his this time. <laughs> yeah, just change just the figures. Draw it in. On some yeah, chart. just crudely draw it in in crayon. Our taxes are five million tons. Yeah, 
<laughs> <laughs> and then get some random government agency to tweet it. That'll be next. Just you watch. Yeah. <laughs> now, I tried to work out what kind of tax you meant because yeah. you can't mean corporation tax, national insurance, VAT, capital gains, federally, or motoring right? taxes. Yeah, yeah, because the Westminster sets all those. Now, the, what the Scottish government does have is power to adjust income tax um, and the threshold for income tax separately to Westminster. It's quite easy to look up what those are. So north of the border, the top rate of tax is 46%, which is 1% higher than the rest of the UK. Now, using calculations by a US think tank, the Tax Foundation, which I found online, that means Scotland ranks 16th out of the 27 European countries in that measure. Uh, so definitely not the top. Not the highest. Uh, yeah. Um, and as in the rest of the UK, Scots only start paying that top rate of tax on earnings over £150,000 a year. There are 18 EU member states where the top rate threshold is lower. In other words, Scotland ranks 19th in Europe by that metric. Channel 4 have also tried to fact check this. Apparently on their website they say they have asked Downing Street what Mr Johnson was referring to. They've then been pointed by number 10 to the Scotland office, and the Scotland office then referred them back to number 10. Uh, so basically, they have not he made an official it response because <laughs> they've both been. No, speak to them. No, no, speak to them. So yeah, he, he may well have made it up. He may well have been misremembering something. Yeah. Um, uh, we just don't know because there's just, no, he hasn't said any more on it, and there's nothing to back it up. There's no, there's no other statements, no actual figures that have been mentioned. It just appears to be a throwaway comment um, that's been reported um, or picked up on. And not all the places that reported it have corrected him. Mm -hmm. um, not all of them have even reported on it either, I must admit. Uh, but yeah, he, had, he said it uh, on Prime Minister's Questions, so it's been in various places. Anyone who's watching it on BBC Parliament or anything like that would have seen it. It's not, It doesn't appear to be true can't find any evidence. The political context behind Scotland is really interesting, isn't it? Because just, was it just last week that um, the Conservative, uh, the, the, the head of the Scottish part of the Scottish Conservative Party um, stepped down and she was just really a very popular politician. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and the Conservatives had not that, not that, not that long ago, Conservatives before you know she started a bit of a revival for the Scottish Conservatives. They'd been decimated, basically wiped out entirely in Scotland. Mm. Um, the next election, which is coming at some point, I guess, <laughs> um, <laughs> Scotland's going to be you know it, it, it is very likely that they might be wiped out again because Scotland obviously voted voted Remain um, isn't necessarily looking with favour upon the Johnson administration. Um, so is this his attempt to try and somehow win over a Scottish constituency by suggesting that he'll cut their taxes? Um, but then you get Maybe. into the devolution question, right? Because uh, the whole point yeah. is that they've they've got devolved government, which Scots are quite happy with. So now uh, I think I'm giving him too much credit by assuming he, he's doing it on purpose. Yeah, I, I think it was a classic, you know, like you say, almost Trumpian slip. Almost he said something, it came into his head. He said it. He didn't necessarily know whether it was true or not. He just said it as he was blurting away. Uh, and once he said it, of course, it's out there then. Yeah, uh, and he hasn't retracted it. Uh, and no one's really clarified what he meant. Yeah. Neither retracted it nor justified it. Just it's yes, there. Just it's like there. a big um, vomit stain in the in the parliamentary record. Yeah, there it is. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's why I want to point pick up things like this because when other people don't um, say something and don't argue against these things or, or point them out, they just get left there. And then yeah. maybe people with different political views then come back to that later and go, "Ah, oh, but remember this." Yeah. So well, it's not true. That's kind of what happened with that whole bendy banana stuff. No one really, people made jokes about that for years and years and years. And no one really went, well, hang on, that's just not true. Yeah. Just go, ha ha, yeah, yeah, funny, funny. Well, that's that's kind of how I felt after after the Brexit vote. It was like, I have had, because, you know, obviously I'm an American expat. I'm only recently a citizen of this country. Um, after Brexit, actually, I became a, a UK citizen. Um, but after, I, I've, been, I've been following the national newspaper since the, you know, I moved here in 1999, so a while now, right? Mm. And I've been following the national conversation. And the thing that was a revelation to me was I had 
I had been following the sun and his their up yours, Dolores, and all this kind of bizarre anti-Europe rhetoric, but I thought it was a kind of a joke. I didn't think, I thought everyone knew it was a joke. I thought nobody was taking it seriously in some ways. Mm. And I think like I was just a bit naive about the fact that of course, if you spend a 30-year vituperative campaign of, you know, angry mockery against an institution, that's going to damage that institution in the minds of the public so served. I just, I don't know, in my head, I just thought like all of Britain was being like hilariously ironic in their loathing of Europe. I didn't quite get that, yeah. you know, that, that not everybody was in on the joke. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wonder if there was an element to that originally. Um, yeah. and then as time goes on, things change and yeah, maybe then people start realizing, oh, we can use that to our advantage. Yeah. So yeah, but hopefully, uh, it doesn't get too bad because of it. Touch wood, fingers crossed and all that. Well, <laughs> fingers crossed, <laughs> you know, hold your breath. Yeah. Well, now, speaking of, of breath, that's a, a perfect opportunity to segue on to, to the last story this week. Uh, do you want to touch on the headline on this one? Yeah, so this was a, um, I guess, a statistic that's been quoted widely in various um, ma- mainstream and online media outlets. Um, the, the reported fact that the Amazon produces 20% of the world's oxygen this is obviously in the context of the recent fires that have been devastating the Amazon um, in Brazil, um, in South America, and um, was reported by, well, it was it was said by French President Emmanuel Macron, among other people. Did you like my pronunciation of Macron? Very nice, yes. I've been practicing good. that. Um, <laughs> so Macron and various politicians were uh, mentioned that um, fact, as well as CNN and Newsweek, um, in the context of a truly devastating fire. Um, a series of truly, truly devastating fires that have been um, ravaging the Amazon. And obviously, um, they're just trying to, I suppose the context is trying to help people understand the the importance of the Amazon to the global e- ecology. Hmm. Um, so what do you think? Well, again, that's something I've heard for a long time as well. So I kind of assumed that was correct. But yeah, it turns out, um, the reason I ended up finding this was... Um, it used to be when I first started this this, this podcast, I, I saw a lot of the stories we're talking about come up on my Twitter feed or come up on, on my Facebook feed. The more I've been doing this podcast, the more I've been looking into fact-checking things, um, the more actual other fact-checking things have appeared on my feed. So this one actually came through on my Facebook feed this week from um, uh, factcheck.org. Um, so they've, they've written an article about this. Um, and they spoke to a senior scientist at the National Center for Atmospheric Research in Colorado, mm-hmm. a man called Gordon Bonan. And he says oxygen is a red herring. Uh, he says he's been hearing this 20% factoid for at least a decade. And it says it's so pervasive he's even overheard it being said to school kids on tours at his workplace. He says that people want to talk about the impact of deforestation. Somehow they've latched onto this idea that forests create oxygen, but that's not what deforestation is doing. Uh, he says that the Amazon isn't critical because it makes oxygen for humans to breathe. Uh, that was largely done by phytoplankton in the sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, it's because the area is rich biodiversity and its vast stores of carbon and the way the forest influences the local and global climate. Um, there are other scientists, uh, one on Twitter, a guy called Jonathan Foley, who is uh, executive director of the nonprofit Project Drawdown. He estimates that the Amazon produces around 6% or less of the planet's oxygen. Uh, and another guy, Yadvinda Malhi, uh, an ecologist at the University of Oxford, who specialises in the Amazon rainforest, he came up with a figure of about 9%. Um, apparently both numbers are essentially the, the same within the same ballpark of uncertainty for the calculation. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, the estimates are the figure is, is quite a bit different than 20%. Um, the, re- yeah. the reason for that is quite interesting, I think. Uh, apparently the estimates uh, rely on um, how much photosynthesis tropical forests actually do relative to the total amount done on land and in the sea now they say uh, the exact numbers vary according to some studies tropical forests do between about a quarter and a third of all photosynthesis on land and the amazon makes up about half or less of all tropical forests so alone it does about 12 to 16 percent of all land photosynthesis Um, and the ocean then accounts for about half of all photosynthesis done on the planet 
So from that, they can work out that, yeah, between 6 and 9% of the world's oxygen, perhaps less, comes from the Amazon. Um, and then there's another great one, a guy from the University of Arizona, who says that, yeah, 6 to 9% is about right, but it doesn't really matter because, like any other ecosystem, all the oxygen created by the Amazon just gets used by the Amazon. Um, <laughs> he says that plants suck up about half or more of the oxygen they produce, as they, like humans, respire using oxygen to break down the carbohydrates and grow and survive. Um, and the remaining half or so of the oxygen is consumed by other creatures, mostly microorganisms, that help decompose the fallen leaf litter, deadwood, and other rainforest debris. Um, so, yeah, basically, the, the other guy, Malhi guy basically goes back in his blog post to say the net contribution of the Amazon rain for Amazonian ecosystem to the world's oxygen level is effectively zero. Right. Exactly. So there you go. So Amazon is valuable in summary for lots of reasons, but producing oxygen is not one of them. Yeah. It basically, like everything on Earth, it creates the oxygen that it uses itself. It sustains itself yeah. as does anything else on land. I think it's the, the seeds that, that give us most that, that we then use. Interesting one. I'd never really looked at it that way. I mean, I, I'd, you, when you grow up and you, you learn this kind of stuff, it's, yeah, all trees are good, plants are good. They're the ones that create the air, air for us. And the Amazon is, is pointed out as the biggest example of that. Yeah. It was only recently when I think we were watching some nature documentary on TV that they talked about how much oxygen the, the, the phytoplankton and things like that create. And it's how interesting. vastly more. Yeah. Fabulous. Well, see, there you go. That's a valuable new understanding that I have gained of how <laughs> biology works. Um, yeah. And it's another, it's a, it's a pretty example of how I said earlier in this pod, it's like, it's so easy to see misinformation when it comes from people you disagree with, mm. because it's like, well, obviously that's wrong because you're just wrong. Yes. So I'll just find out why you're wrong and I'll dig into that. But we're just not usually motivated to double check the accuracy of information from people, you know, people who are concerned about yes. the climate, hear other people con concerned about the climate saying, oh, it produces 20% of the world's oxygen. And we all go, oh my goodness, that, that, what, what a terrible thing. This is another reason why we should care about the climate. Um, let's go off. Wouldn't it be great if we could build a culture where we genuinely were concerned to make sure that we were all kind of like double checking that everyone on our side was doing mm. and saying the right thing so that so that we were giving the most credibility to our arguments yeah. you know instead we all get quite prickly sometimes don't uh, we yes we do yeah yeah and that's one thing to remember is that yeah. i don't want people to go away from this and think trust no one believe nothing um but what we just want is to people not for people not to believe everything uh, and to consider facts for wherever yeah. they come from and take them with a pinch of salt and double check them. If if they're particularly important or you're going to start quoting them, double check them before you then start sharing stuff. Because, yeah, yeah. it comes back on you yeah. at the end of the day. We, and ultimately, we're all media these days, aren't yeah. we? I mean, we're uh, we're all sharing information all the time. And I think sometimes people get a bit complacent about, oh, well, if I just share something on my Facebook post, it's not like I'm the New York Times. <laughs> but cumulatively, everybody doing that adds up to more than any media outlet has available to them. So, and and that's how misinformation spreads on all sides. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't help. It doesn't indeed. Uh, well, that does wrap up our main news story for this week. Anyone listening, if you've seen something online or had something that you want to know if it's true, let us know. We'll take a look at it, some of your suggested stories, and discuss them on the next episode. You can contact us on Twitter and Instagram, where we are at MOSwooping. You can email us at MOSwooping at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail on Anchor, where we are uh, MOSwooping, funnily enough. We've also got a Facebook page where you can get updates from us, and we'll tell you about when new episodes are released, as well as a Facebook group where you can join the community and share fake stories that you found as well. Uh, you can work out what those are called, I'm sure, uh, Ministry of Swooping, for those who okay so we now move on to uh the ministry of swooping fact quiz so each week my guest is given a series of 10 facts and has to judge whether they are true or false and then place them on the ministry of swooping leaderboard currently there's only one name on that leaderboard so the score to beat <laughs> today is jim cliff's seven out of ten from last week that's because okay, we changed well, the format. It's a pretty respectable week. score. So yeah, so we've got these ten facts. Are you ready for these, Gary? 
Okay, all right. Hang on, cracking my knuckles, warming up, <laughs> stretching. Okay, laid on me. Okay, so number one, Nintendo was formed only five years after the end of the Ottoman Empire. Ottoman Empire. I want to say that might be true because I think the Ottoman Empire continued well into the 20th century possible i'm going to i'm going to say true just for giggles uh, it's actually false uh, the ottoman <sighs> empire spanned from 1299 to 1923 uh, so you're right about 20s. that nintendo was actually founded on the 23rd of september 1889 so it was actually formed uh, within the ottoman empire right oh okay. I got it wrong the wrong way. Uh, Number two, Saudi Arabia import camels from Australia. Hmm. Oh, see, now I'm going to second guess myself because that sounds so false that it probably is true. I'm going to, you know what, I'm just going to, like, it doesn't sound true, but Saudi Arabia has so much money, they probably do all sorts of crazy things, so let's say it's true. It is true. Uh, they import them for meat consumption. They don't breed enough within their own country to satisfy demand. So they import them from Australia. Okay. Uh, number three. Cleopatra lived closer to the invention of the iPhone than she did to the building of the Great Pyramid. Ah, now see, I think that's true because because people forget that the Egyptian empire lasted for thousands of years. It was ridiculously long. I remember when we were covering in Western civilization that it was one of the um, most durable and sustainable um, kind of civic institutions, if you will, or or governmental institutions of, of all time. And she was towards the end of it because she was in the Roman era. I'm going to say true. It is true. Yes, well done. Yeah, Cleopatra lived in between 51 and 30 BC. The Great Pyramid Giza was built between the years 2580 and 2560 BC. The iPhone released in 2007. So yeah, by some 500 odd years closer to the iPhone than the Great Pyramid. And hey, by the way, well done pyramid makers. Like, how'd you do that? Yeah. <laughs> That's a long time ago long to time do ago. something that big. Goodness me. Uh, okay, fact number four for you. Cookie Monster's real name is Jared. <laughs> the character Cookie Monster. Yep. Oh, gosh. I want that to be false because I, I'd like to think that if Cookie Monster's name were Jared, I would know that. I'm going to say false. It is false. <sighs> His real name is actually Sid. <laughs> Which I think is even better. Even better. <laughs> How do we know four. that? Um, apparently it's referenced in a song. Okay. Um, there's a song that, that calls him Sid at some point. All right. Um, C is for Cookie. That's good enough for me. And do you know what Cookie Monster's British cousin is called? Oh, I do not. Uh, Biscuit Monster. Of course, of course it is, now that I yeah, think about it. We had uh, Children's TV on a couple of weeks yeah. ago, and Fairchester Hotel is on. Fairchester uh, Hotel, my daughter loves it. Yeah. So the Cookie Monster is, is obviously a character in that, and he got visited by his British cousin. He wears a, a bowler hat, and it's called Biscuit Monster. Biscuit Monster, excellent. So there we go. Another fact. That's not one of the facts for you, though. Just a free bonus fact. Just a free bonus there for you. So fact number five for you is shoe shops used X-ray machines to measure shoe sizes in the forties. In the forties. Okay, so I'm just thinking this through. So in the 1940s, after the um, kind of the, like there was a lot of enthusiasm around uh, radiation and um, kind of all the amazing things you can do with radiation, um, like x-rays. And I remember people got wildly overexcited, which caused, um, and there was like in the sort of atomic era after the, after the nuclear bomb was invented, there was a lot of kind of irrational exuberance around what um, what x-rays and, and various different radioactive things could do. So would they have used that to measure shoe sizes? Is that what you're saying? Yep. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to say I'm going to say false. Uh, well, according to what I read online, it was true. It, ah. it doesn't specify what, how common it was um, or whereabouts these shops were, but it does say it did happen and it was before the risks obviously were, were fully yeah. understood. Uh, but yeah, it did happen. 
Yeah, I knew, I knew that people had people got wrong the the potential risks of radiation yeah. and did all sorts of silly things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, fact number six: from the time it was discovered to the time it was denounced as a planet, Pluto did not complete one rotation around the sun. Oh, I'm pretty sure that is true because I think it takes Pluto. It's way, way out in the edge of the solar system. And I don't think, I think it takes like a hundred years or more for Pluto to, well, hang on. When was it, when was it discovered? So I don't think it completed. So I think it's true that it did not complete a rotation. You're right. Um, It was discovered in 1930, although the earliest evidence of it was back to 1909, but it was kind of, you know, in the background of photos. It wasn't noticed at the time. So 1930s when it was officially discovered, it was downgraded to a dwarf planet in August 2006, and its Pluto's orbital period is currently about 248 years. And I say currently because it's not a perfect circle, it's elliptical, and it changes each time it goes around. But on its current orbit, it's 248 years, so yes, way more time it was a planet good stuff number seven for you then oxford university is older than the aztec empire the aztec empire was still in place when columbus and his people showed up and you know brought smallpox and committed genocide across the continent but that's not the context here um so it was still around then i believe so it could well be that oxford university was older Yes, I think Oxford University is older than the Aztec Empire. Yeah, correct. It is true. Uh, The earliest evidence of teaching at Oxford was in 1096. The Aztec period was between 1300 and 1521. (laughs) Well reasoned. Worked that one out well there. (laughs) Uh, Number eight for you then. Bullets are the only thing that can pierce an armadillo's armour. Huh. That can't be true. That's got to be false because lots of things can pierce. I mean... Bullets are the only thing. I mean, in a world full of a lot of penetrative things, that seems like, (laughs) that seems extraordinary. No, I'm going to say that's false. Uh, It is false. Yeah. Uh, Actually, they are bulletproof, uh, the armour. In fact, one Texas man was hospitalised when a bullet he shot at armadillo ricocheted off the animal and hit him in the jaw. Well, it brings, don't mess with Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Number nine. Octopuses lay 56,000 eggs at a time. Okay, I know nothing of octopus reproductive systems. Do they even lay eggs? I feel like they might give birth to tiny octopi, but is that the plural of octopus? Octopuses? Octopi? I think it was octopi. Yeah, okay. That sounds right. Yeah. I'm going to say it's false just because I know nothing of octopus reproduction, but it just, no. Let's say no. Uh, it's actually true. Ah. Uh, in fact, some uh, lay up to 200,000 at a time. Gosh. Uh, so, last one for you then. Kleenex tissues were designed to replace handkerchiefs. Ah. Were Kleenex tissues designed to replace handkerchiefs? I suspect they probably weren't. I suspect they were probably invented for something else and then used for this purpose. So, let's say no. False. You are absolutely spot on. Yes, um, it was. They were invented when there was a cotton shortage during World War One. Uh, Kimberly Clark developed a thin, flat cotton substitute that the army tried to use as a filter in gas masks. The war ended before the scientists perfected the material, so the company redeveloped it to be smoother and softer, and marketed Kleenex as a facial tissue instead. Excellent. So there you go. At the end of that, you have scored seven. So I've matched the other person on the leaderboard. You have matched Jim, so you are now joint top. Joint top. Of the leaderboard. But also joint bottom. But also joint bottom, yes. <laughs> oh, well. Until, until next time. Well, mind you, you still might be. I said to Jim last week, you'll be top for at least a week, but he's now joint top. So yeah, you're both on top. So thank you very much for that. Well done. So the show coming to a close now so before we go i just want a bit of begging from me uh, if you listen this far and you like it then thank you very much we're very honored uh, please do hit that subscribe button make sure you don't miss any future episodes and if you've got a minute please do give us a rating and a review on whichever podcast system you're listening to us on those ratings do actually help us be heard by more people so you'll be doing us a favor and also don't forget to follow us on all the social medias and send us any news stories you want looking into all the contact details are coming up again at the end of the show 
Now, before we go, do you have anything else you want to say, Karen, or do you want to let people know where they can find your podcast? Yeah. So um, again, it's primarily 2020. You can find me. I'm also an anchor podcast, but you can also find me on your podcast player of choice. Um, primarily 2020. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Karen Jr. That's K-A-R-I-N-J-R on Twitter. And the only other thing I'd say is if by any chance you are an American listening to the sound of my voice, please, 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 for all that is good and holy, uh, register to vote or request your absentee ballot um, to vote in the election. There is an election, of, uh, an election every year, even if it's not a federal election. Um, and you can do that by going to vote.org if you're an American back home, or if you, like me, are an American expat living abroad anywhere in the world, uh, the website for you is votefromabroad.org, and they'll sort out your absentee ballot for you. Very good. Thank you very much for that. Now, we always end our show with our good friend, Rando Cardrissian, who picks our episode subtitle. Uh, now, this comes from one of the special rules in Cards Against Humanity, which is what ended... Uh, where we got our show name from, I should say. Uh, so I've already drawn two random cards out to, from the standard UK version of the game, uh, and this is what we've come up with our subtitle today. It is, What Don't You Want to Find in Your Kung Pao Chicken? Emma Watson. Uh, so yeah. that is our random subtitle for this week. So on that unsavoury note, we'll say thanks everyone for listening, and goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. If you want to contact the Ministry of Swooping, you can email moswooping at gmail.com. You can send a voicemail at anchor.fm forward slash moswooping. You can also join our Facebook group and be a part of the community. Just search for Ministry of Swooping. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, where we are at moswooping.com.